0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Happy to be with you again today. Like always, very happy to have you tuning in with us and uh, following us with Bible Study. And thank you for your uh, feedback. I would like to say that I may not mention names now because I don't want to leave somebody out. But thank you, everyone, for your encouragements and uh, all your messages. This also keeps us going, and uh, may God bless you today through this Bible study. I would like to just welcome the panel for today, and I will start with uh, Will. Thank you, Will, for joining us today. I think it's a privilege. Thank you. And going uh, to Brenton now. Good to have you with us, Brenton.
1: Thank you, Nick. Uh, down here in the Deep South, it's very cold, but the, we'll have a warm time together in fellowship as we study the Word.
0: Absolutely. And Helen? Very good to have you also joining us.
2: Thank you, Nick. And up here in the north, it's still very cold, Brenton.
0: (laughs) Ligia, good to have you also.
3: I feel very privileged to study God's Word with all this group. And praise the Lord for that.
0: Len, thank you for joining us.
4: Well, it's been cold in the deep south, cold in the north. I can tell you it's still cold in the middle. Hello, listeners, and welcome.
0: All right, and today uh, we have Ken with us taking care of this uh, study. Uh, He's the facilitator. Ken, thank you very much for uh, putting together this study. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure
5: to be here, and I might as well finish the end of what the other two were saying.
0: It's certainly called up in the Barossa as well. Oh, well, uh, we are uh, really enjoying these frosty mornings, but also the sunshine during the day and uh, beautiful winter so far. We no more comments, over to you, Ken. Thank you, Nick. And uh, again, welcome to all our listeners today.
5: Again, we have a, a wonderful Bible study on prophecy, which is so, so important to us, especially in the days that we're living in at the present time. Bible prophecy is crucial to our identity and mission. Prophecy provides an internal and external mechanism to confirm the accuracy of God's words, Jesus said. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And this is written in John 14, verse 29. This presents a crucial question. How do we interpret prophecy correctly so that we may know that prophecy has indeed come to pass? During the Reformation, the Reformers followed the historical method. This method is the same one Daniel and John used as the key for their own interpretation. The history of sin method sees prophecy as a progressive and continuous fulfillment of history, starting in the past and ending with God's eternal kingdom. This week we will study the pillars of historicism, prophetic interpretation. We are to see in history the fulfillment of prophecy, to study the workings of providence in the great reformatory movements, and to understand the progress of events in the marshaling of the nations for the final conflict of great controversy in this world. So, listeners, I urge you all to stay tuned in and open your hearts and your ears to what we're going to start off with today. Anija, would you like to lead us in prayer this morning?
3: Yes, thank you. Glorious Father in Heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity. to gather together, and we invite you to be with us as we study your word today. Father, we ask you kindly to send your Holy Spirit in every heart and place your holy words into our hearts as you did before with Moses and some other prophets and teach us, Father, and bring your holy light into our hearts and your knowledge to understand your word and to be able to tell others about it. Father, thank you. As you promised that you'll hear our prayers and we're asking everything to be done in your holy name and according to your will. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank
5: you very much, Leetje. Len, would you like to start off just to explain a little bit more about esotericism and prophecy? Okay, well, there are various
4: approaches that people use with regard to prophecy. As Seventh-day Adventists, we have adopted the same approach as did the reformers, the Protestant reformers, which is known as historicism. And that's the idea that prophecies follow in an unbroken sequence from the beginning right through to the end. But I'd like to say this. There are a couple of other methods that different uh, religious groups have adopted. One is the preterist interpretation, which basically says all prophecies have been fulfilled. Well, historicism doesn't say that. And the other one is futurist or the futurist approach, which says that these prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. Now, one says it's all in the past. Another says it's all in the future. But as Seventh-day Adventists, we agree with the Reformers that prophecies follow an unbroken chain from beginning through to end. So some of the prophecies that we deal with will be in the past,
5: but there are still some yet to be fulfilled. Very good, Len. We're going to have a look at a brief outline of Daniel 2.27 and how the image in the dream and of scripts, the unbroken flaw of history, from the present to the last days. Clinton, would you have a look at this one for us?
1: Let me give a brief overview of what's taking place in Daniel chapter 2. Really, Daniel chapter 2 sets the scene for all prophecies, whether they're in the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel. From here on, you get the history of the world in miniature in one chapter, and everything that you get after this is actually an expansion or a... um, a further interpretation of what's already happened. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He had a dream. The problem is he couldn't remember the dream and he brought in his wise men and his soothsayers to interpret the dream for him. They had to do two things. They had to remember the dream he had had that he couldn't remember and they had to interpret what he couldn't remember. So they had quite a task ahead of them. Uh, They were unsuccessful. They said nobody can do this uh, on this earth. Only the gods can do this. No king has ever asked their astrologers or their wise men to interpret a dream that he can't even remember himself. The dream was about an image that had a head of gold, chest of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. It was basically the history of the world described in metal and In that chapter, Daniel says, firstly, he says to the king, he says, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold, and after you will come another kingdom. Now, summarising briefly, Ken, this is interesting. In verse 45 of Daniel 2, and I'm going to read it, he says this, inasmuch as you saw that the stone, there was the stone that came along and smashed the image, which we believe to be the uh, kingdom of God when he comes, was cut out without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation sure. Of all the prophecies in the Bible, This is the only prophecy that I'm aware of where that statement is made. The dream is certain and the interpretation sure. How does this confirm historicism? We know that because if you read chapter 3, shortly after this, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a whole image similar to what he saw in his dream of gold. So this is confirmation. If Daniel says the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure... What is wrong? Why should we change the method of biblical interpretation from here? If this is what the cornerstone is, surely all, few, all future prophecies should be interpreted along the same lines.
5: Thank you, Brenton. That's such an important uh, chapter and verse, and that's absolutely amazing that it gives a history of the world basically from the beginning on down to the very days we live in and the soon return of Jesus
2: just one mention that we learned before is that prophecy comes in in uh, two two manners. It's classical prophecy or it's ap- apocalyptic prophecy. Mm. This prophecy that you just mentioned, Brenton, is apocalyptic. Yeah. In other words, it follows God's timetable, yeah. whereas the classical one is usually conditional, depending on people's you know choices.
1: It's interesting though that Nebuchadnezzar understood this historically, didn't he? Otherwise, mm. he wouldn't have taken the action he did in chapter 3.
2: I'm so glad this prophecy is in the Bible.
5: I also find it amazing that we read in Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 that the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals to his servants the prophets. And yeah. God certainly has revealed basically everything that we need to know about the world, its history, future of it, and the return of Jesus do you wanted to add
4: something? Yes, um, I'd just like to add on to what Helen was saying that she was very, she is so glad that this prophecy is in the Bible. Two of my brothers in law were both university professors. The thing that convinced them about the authenticity of the Bible was this prophecy, this dream given to King Nebuchadnezzar and later. God gave Daniel the interpretation. I said, How can anybody know all this unless it was God yes. who can who knows the future? And that convinced them to become Christians. Seventh so day Adventist Christians.
0: That's a wonderful testimony, Lynn. Uh, just a comment also there to establish uh, why uh, we are focusing on uh, on prophecy and particularly in, on this uh, series of Bible study, we talked quite a bit about history and the Bible, prophecy and all those things. And I heard comments from people saying that why should we focus so much on prophecy and all those things? We should just preach the gospel, you know, preach Jesus and his uh, uh, love for us. He died for us. He saved us from our sins and just preach Jesus. And forget about prophecy and all those things. And now it's the probably opportunity to uh, explain some of these things. Why prophecy is also important. That's the first thing we should do, to preach the gospel. And we're preaching the gospel even through the explanation of prophecy. But the problem is that uh, God makes us aware of the fact that there is an enemy who will try to do all sorts of things to deceive us. To deceive his children, and if we don't know prophecy and how these things will come in place, we can be easily deceived. And that's probably the most important thing for for us all to understand the times we live in, to see how prophecy were fulfilled during the history, and to understand also the message for the time we live in. Thank you, Nick. That's a really, really good point, Helen.
2: Yeah, just adding to that, if you don't want to talk about prophecy, you have to cut out about thirty percent. Of the Bible contents because they are prophetic in nature, and prophecy, you know, it points to the hope of the coming also of the Messiah. It's so important, you know, the second coming. It keeps the church looking forward in anticipation of that blessed hope. Yeah, we definitely need to talk about um, prophecy. It gives us it gives us that hope, doesn't it? Especially when you see the prophecies being filled already.
5: Yeah, that's a really important point, Helen. And I think, especially for the Christians today who know prophecy and understand where we are in the chain of events in the world, I think the majority of us can see that the return of Jesus is not that far away. It's an interesting also. My very best friend a Catholic, and I've been witnessing to him for over 20 years. And he often asked me during the course of a week, Oh, what have you been doing this week? And I said, Oh, studying the Bible or you know, studying lessons or whatever, and he says, oh, I thought after all this time you would have known it all, but we are always learning. Mm-hmm. And what I find amazing about Catholics, and other good friends are Catholics as well, we've known them for a long time, lovely people, but they don't want to know anything about the Bible. They don't want to read it. They don't want to know about prophecy. Or someone like myself and many others, we are so eager to find out, well, what does the Bible tell us about the days we live in? And I think it's very exciting, and it's also a warning. As all Helen said, we, we need to know what's going on in the world, what, uh, who the enemy is, and how we could be misled if we're not careful. Now, another, interest, another interesting chapter is Daniel 7, one fourteen. 14. It said different metals in a huge metal limit King Nebuchadnezzar had How are successful kingdoms represented in this vision? Will, would you like to explain that one for us?
6: Yes. um, Daniel's prophecies repeat uh, the sequence of history uh, from his day a few times um, in the prophecies for emphasis. So uh, repeating the kingdoms represented in the metal image, he goes over it again, as it were, but this time using animals instead of animals. metals to represent the kingdoms, and we find from Daniel 7 verses 1 to 14, you'll find animals like uh, the first being a lion, uh, representing Babylon, the second, he said, uh, would be the kingdom uh, represented by a bear, the third one a uh, kingdom that takes over compared to a leopard, and then a dreadful uh, fourth beast representing Rome much later. Now, these kingdoms,
5: because he's using animals in this one, it's very easy to track these kingdoms down, and as you've just pointed out, who they are. And again, these kingdoms are recorded in history, so anyone uh, who is not Christian, perhaps not interested, they can see for themselves that history has actually recorded these events, so we can be assured that they've actually happened. The Bible is correct. Liam, you wanted to add something? Yes, it's so interesting
4: with these animals, Babylon like a lion with the wings of an eagle, and then Medo-Persia like a, a bear, which was lopsided and had three ribs in its mouth, and then there was the leopard with wings. That was Greece, and Rome was a terrifying beast. How that this imagery using the animals depicts very much how those particular kingdoms operated and some of the political uh, factors regarding those kingdoms. It's fascinating that hundreds and hundreds of years before some of those kingdoms popped up, this prophecy was given and those characteristics were evident in how those kingdoms were organised, the
6: politics of them. It's interesting to note that after these kingdoms in this very uh, portion of scripture that I read, um, that I was commenting on Daniel 7, it goes on after the leopard and the beast to uh, actually say that uh, something significant will happen after that. And we will be looking into it a little bit. He, um, he says, I watched until thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated as there was a court seated. Books are opened. And so part of this whole sweep of history in a prophetic statement is not only the, the sequence of these kingdoms, but uh, the following that is a judgment scene.
1: Brenton? Yeah, just, just quickly, um, Ken, there's something that I've just seen, which I find quite exciting. Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 both start within the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Daniel 8 says in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Now, basically, in Daniel chapter 2, the very first one we looked at, he's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's talking to his grandson or even his great-grandson. Nebuchadnezzar has passed away. So, therefore, using the imagery of an image probably has less effect. So now he's using a feature that Belshazzar would be familiar with, as Len said, the lion with the wings and so on and so forth. Now, Daniel in Daniel chapter 5 says to Belshazzar on the last night of his life, he said, you knew all these things. It seems to me that God is trying to get through to Belshazzar on a different level than he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's passed away. Now we've got Belshazzar on the throne. He's using different imagery to bring the same message that I'm still in control, that these things are still going to happen. But he's using something that because Belshazzar either inadvertently or deliberately forgot, he's bringing it to his attention again by using a different uh, method. Very good, Helen.
2: Yeah, I think following on what um, Brenton was saying, how interesting that was, I also found it interesting that Daniel 7, 1 to 14 was about the image um, with the animals and Daniel 8, 1 to 14 brings in animals again, um, which I thought was quite interesting also. But this time it's a ram and a he-goat because some of the um, history had already taken effect. And it's interesting that pagan Rome, the horn moves horizontally and it's, it's equally interesting, you know, when you read that, I thought to myself, okay, um, there is a statement that says papal Rome horn moves vertically. And I thought about that and I thought there is a difference because that one comes up from the midst of the others. So it does come up, you know, vertically. Just a, just a, a point.
5: Very good, Helen. Uh, according to Jesus, what else does prophecy accomplish Besides revealing what will happen in the future. panel, would you like to add to that one?
2: Well, if I, can, if I can come in again, it gives us evidence, doesn't it? it, that helps us to believe once it's come to pass. And there's a good text in John 14, 29 that I'd like to share, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. You brought that up earlier. Can. and Jesus is already forewarning he said so when it happens you will actually believe it and if we flip over to John 16 1 to 4 it says again I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith for you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God this is because they have never known the father or me but yes I'm telling you these things now So that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer. So they were also written to give us a warning and um, as well as giving us the evidence, you know, which increases our faith.
5: That's amazing. Lynn. Well,
4: I mentioned before about my two brothers-in-law. As far as that's concerned, it confirms the authenticity of the Scriptures. Back in, I think it was 1964, there was a gentleman here in Adelaide by the name of John Nash, who predicted that I think it was going to be during the summer holidays, somewhere in January, that Adelaide was going to be swamped by a, a tsunami. A lot of people left Adelaide at the time and went elsewhere, well, there was no tsunami and John Nash uh, disappeared. He went across to Western Australia. When prophecy doesn't come out, doesn't work out, is not fulfilled, whoever makes the prophecy is uh, basically a liar. But what we read here in Daniel, those prophecies have come to pass. So the future prophecies about the Lord setting up his kingdom, based on the evidence of the fulfillment of prophecies that we already know about have come to pass, is believable. And that's why Jesus said that you can believe because it
0: has come to pass. Yeah, very quickly on that one also because I was intrigued of the fact that Yeah, that passage in John, when Jesus says, okay, I'm telling you these things that when you will see them coming to fulfillment, you will believe. What about Daniel, who didn't see that uh, some of them before he made the, the prediction and the prophecies? And it's interesting that those people who really believed in what God was telling them that will happen, how blessed they were to believe even not to see things coming to fulfillment. What's the difference, I believe, in, um, in these two, two things? That Jesus also can see, because he's omniscient, he knows everything, could see also the state of people in the later days, where faith is fading out a lot, and we need to be brought back and uh, have an impact in our lives. All those prophecies which Jesus spoke about, you see, God is also considering the state we are in. He was mentioning about David and many other prophets in the Bible, talking about them in a high regard, about their walk with God, in their faith. But also God is God who knows that we are, you know, as I said, going down, actually, in uh, not as strong in faith like the, our ancestors. You know, God is still... Considering us and say, Look, now when you see these things happening, take heed, take, heed, you know, understand what's happening and turn to God, give your life to God. Very true.
5: It's so important that we're going to understand prophecy. We also need to understand timing. And we're going to look at the year day principle. What key is provided in Scripture when interpreting time prophecies? Liam, do you like to explain this one? All right, well, I might be a little bit long, but
4: I'll do it as quickly as possible. Some people have the idea that prophecy can be anything. For example, they use a verse from 2 Peter 3 eight: the day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Well, that doesn't really give you any idea at all. It just says that with God, time doesn't mean a great deal. However, there are two verses in the Bible that give us a clue to the actual times. One's found in Numbers, chapter 14, verse 34. It says, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. Now, this is um, God speaking to the Israelites We know from the rest of the Bible that the Israelites spent 40 years wandering around in the desert before they could inherit the land the Lord planned that they should have.
3: Another clue is
4: found in Ezekiel chapter four, verse six. And God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel and he said, after you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side and bear the sin of the house of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days a day for each year. Now, why should we accept this? Well, the simple answer is sometimes prophecies are given in terms of days. For example, there's a prophecy about the 2,300 days. For the events that were supposed to take place in that period of time, it's far too short because... The prophecy concerned the end of the world and that prophecy was given way back before Christ so to you have to interpret it with days for years otherwise it just doesn't make any sense if you interpret it this way it does make sense and i want to just share with you a little bit from daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 through to 27. And it says this 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most High. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And then it goes on. Like I said a little bit earlier, if it was only days, seven sevens, sevens—that's the other seven is a week, because a week consists of seven days. Seven sevens is 49 days. It just doesn't make sense for all those things to happen. So here is a very important principle a year stands for a day it's given as a day it means years
5: thank you Len that's uh quite an interesting thing and it, it does explain a lot in the bible how, how we explain prophet Daniel's reaction to this vision of the 2300 days well do tackle
6: this one for us May I just comment on what Len has just said? Um, Looking at that 70-week prophecy in Daniel 9, uh, we read, if we're thinking of only days, from the growing forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, that is Jesus, is a literal 69 weeks or maybe uh, one year and four months and one week. You know, looking at the sweep of history, prophecy makes absolutely no sense when we think it's only days or weeks uh, between uh, the command to restore and build Jerusalem right through until Jesus. Clearly, you can't use days and weeks. This has got to represent a prophetic time, that is, uh, years. And in fact, it works out to 490 years, exactly as Len has read. Your question was, um, how do we explain the prophet's reaction to the vision? Yes. Yes. Uh, may I just read uh, Daniel eight verses fourteen, and then twenty six to twenty seven. Daniel eight fourteen speaks about the actual vision. He said to me, "For two thousand three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed." Of course, talking about thousand three hundred years. And in Daniel 8, uh, 26 and 27, his response, And the vision of the evenings and the mornings which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. Verse 27 says, And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Um, I was astonished by the vision. No one understood it. Clearly he must have realized that the uh, coming of the Messiah was many, many days uh, or many years in advance or in the future. It probably is one of the... It's probably disappointment in a way that uh, must have made him faint and become sick. They were hoping for an immediate release.
5: Thank you, Will. That's that's very true. Uh, Brenton?
1: Uh, Just quickly on that one, uh, where Will read Daniel 8 verse 14, under 2,300 days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Clearly, Daniel's understanding, and that's the most important thing, is it wasn't talking about the cleansing of an earthly sanctuary because the earthly sanctuary hadn't been rebuilt. So therefore, it must be referring to something beyond the earthly sanctuary. And uh, we know as we come further into this prophecy uh, that there is a time period where we believe the sanctuary was beginning to be cleansed. but. Poor old Daniel was looking at it, as Will has said, from the perspective of how long is it going to be before the earthly sanctuary is restored and put good, whereas what the angel was trying to get across to him was it's talking about the sanctuary in heaven. And um, this is why I think he was told that this prophecy is for many days in the future. He would have understood that these things were not going to be fulfilled in his lifetime.
5: Thank you, Brenton. Uh, I think that's uh, an important point also. And I can understand that we were all standing in the foots of Daniel and we, we realized that uh, the world wasn't going to be uh, brought back the way it was originally
0: when God made it for a long time. We would probably be very disappointed ourselves. Yeah. I just want to clarify a couple of things here in terms of day, year principle. Now, Len mentioned a couple of passages in Numbers and in Ezekiel. They are not the only passages in the Bible talking about the year and day principle, and we have to understand that because some people may come up and say, "Hang on a second, that is not. Uh, how can you use those passages just for uh, for this? Uh, you know, to build up your interpretation?" And it's true that in the Bible speaks in many in other places. For, I will give an example in even in Genesis when uh, describes how long people lived. For example. Adam, You know, it says the Bible, some translations say that Adam lived 800 years and after that uh, giving birth to sons and daughters and his days were, and give a number, you know, how long he lived on earth, calculated on days also. But the most important thing here is when you apply this principle, day, year, on a prophetic basis, And particularly in Numbers and in Ezekiel, when God was telling, in a prophetic language, his servant about his will with the nation of Israel, then you have already in your hand a tool how to apply day-year principle for the explanation of prophecy. Uh, I thought I will just mention that because we don't want to just say this is the rule, this is the interpretation. And we have to be careful with this when we say this is a tool of interpretation. It's exactly like when um, you said, you know, in Revelation says that the number of the beast, and we'll talk about that, it's 666, you know. You can get to 666 from another perspective, not only from the one which we probably uh, are more Uh, inclined to to apply. That's a way of interpretation and that probably needs to be a bit clarified later on, maybe, as we go through the study.
4: We often use the expression in the good old days or in those days. We actually mean in those years. But that's too general. Really, when it comes to prophecy, it has to be particular. If it's general just like that, then you wouldn't really know where you are so when the, um, time, when the time is given in prophecy as days, it has to be years.
5: It has to be precise, otherwise you could be way out. Thank you Dan. we have to keep moving on. Time is certainly getting away from us. We're going to look at the, the little horn par. Who or what is this little horn par le? Would you like to read some verse out of Daniel for us?
3: Daniel chapter seven twenty one to 25, we have here a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And it was different from all the, the former beasts and it had 10 horns. So um, this little horn... In verse 21 says um, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the most high. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Now I'm going to read the, the explanation that Daniel gives here. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth trampling it down and crashing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Now here he talking about um, the little horn represents the papal pagan Rome and uh, in verse 25 says in the, he says change, he will try to change the set times and the laws. So here it shows that he will try to change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday keeping.
0: We may wonder why we are talking about the little horn. Why are we picking up in the prophecy this uh, particular thing? Because this is linking very well with what we are talking about with the day-year principle. You know, this is very clear because it's giving us now the terminology of time, times, and half a time, which we know from the prophecy, and if in in other parts of the Bible, uh, it's identified in a different uh, way, like the days. Here we can see the fulfillment of this prophecy with the day year principle this power which referred to the pagan rome came in, in power like in around uh, 538 i think and it was in power until 1798 this gives you exactly the period of time if you calculated in the you know day year principle otherwise if you just take that as days uh, you wouldn't get anywhere with that uh, application. And that's why here it's important that we picked up this uh, example of the little horn. Very good. According to Protestant reformers, all of the identifying characteristics of the little horn
5: come to the which earthly religious power. Helen, could you give us a brief outline on this one?
2: Yes, I, I could, if, and I'm not going to go through every single verse, but if you want to study, listeners, Daniel 7 and 8, you'll see that there is actually seven characteristics. And we could ask the question, what power came out of Rome and continues its politico-religious influence for at least 1260 years? But there's only one power that fits history and prophecy, and that power is the papacy. The papacy came into power among the ten barbarian tribes of Europe and uprooted three of them. The papacy was different from the previous ones, indicating its uniqueness compared to the other, other tribes. You know, The papacy spoke pompous words against the Most High. This is words of scripture. This is not me saying this. And exalted himself as high as the prince of the host by usurping the role of Jesus and replacing it with the Pope. The papacy fulfilled the prediction of persecuting the saints of the Most High and casting down some of the host during the Counter-Reformation when Protestants were slaughtered. The papacy sought to change times and law by removing the Second Commandment and changing the Sabbath to Sunday. Please don't just take what I've written, listeners. Please go and study that in Daniel 7 and 8, and you'll find these are the words of Scripture, and there's only one power that fits.
5: Thank you, Helen. So times and laws were going to be changed. Was this prophecy fulfilled? Brayton, could you give us a brief answer on that
1: one? Yes, it was. Uh, Helen's touched on it briefly. It's obviously talking about uh, this particular power, as Helen said, I think, earlier on, expands both ways. It expands horizontally, which would suggest to me politically, but it, it also expands vertically which means that its influence is even felt in heaven because of its arrogance and its desire to change God's law. We find when you compare um, the Ten Commandment law of the Lord in certain version of the Bible, the Douay version, and you compare it with other versions of the Bible, you'll find that the Ten Commandments have actually been changed significantly. The Fourth Commandment becomes the Third Commandment, And the second commandment, forbidding the worship of idols, has been removed completely. Now, this power believed by the authority that it claims that it had from Peter, who it says was the first pope, this power claims to have the authority to change God's law. What is made very, very clear in here is that God sees this in a very different light. And um, the important issue for us is today is, Are we going to follow God as revealed in the Scriptures or are we going to follow tradition as revealed by the Church Fathers? And this is an important issue for ourselves and also for our listeners. Are we prepared to stake our lives, as it were, on following the Word of God when it conflicts with what the Church tells you to do? Thank you, Brenton.
5: We're going to look at now the investigative judgment what this is, and where it's taking place. Leita, would you like to read Daniel
3: 8, verse 914? Yes. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as, as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped off their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. is one that will never be destroyed. We observe here that um in verse uh, so in chapter 7 verse 9 judgment in heaven is taking place now. And we observe here the ancient of days which is God the Lord the king of kings and the lord of lords it's sitting on his throne and a judgment is taking place. And uh, later on in verse 13 it says the um, that uh, one, like a son of man, approaches the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Here is Jesus coming in the presence of God. To him, it was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. So here is coming. Uh, the intercessor, Jesus, and also the judge. And um, I would like to mention a few texts here of Jesus coming again, that is in Matthew 28, uh, Mark chapter 13, and 1 Timothy two five. Thank you, lecture. At commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which was given
5: in 457 BC by King Adesiris in the seventh year of his reign, 2,300 years after that, the to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, 457 BC is 1844. How did early believers interpret this prophecy?
0: Can uh, we were talking about earlier uh, the you know this principle there, and here it's interesting enough that uh, in the medieval medieval times, you know even the Protestants, you know the pioneers. They could not understand this application, and it was much later in the 1800s when the 2,300 days or years prophecy came to more to be understood. And this was during the Millerite's time when Lijah when Lijah was reading those passages in the Bible referring to the judgment, uh, as we call it. I know this terminology may not not mean uh, much for many people. You know, like talking about the investigative judgment and all those things. But it's important to understand that there was confusion in time. And if you don't give the Bible a really good credibility to really look into the Bible and study the Bible and not just follow with the general understanding, because just remember this one, during the Dark Ages the Bible was taken away from people. People are not allowed to to study the Bible, and it was very difficult, very hard to make some application of, uh, of those prophecies. But when we have the Bible in our hands, it will be a foolishness from us all to miss out of some of the very clear interpretations of the Bible. It's important
4: to realize that if you have a time prophecy, In order to determine when that prophecy ends, you have to have a beginning. And you mentioned, Ken, that this particular one that we're talking about here, often called 2,300 days, began in 457 BC. Now, there are other groups who have different ideas. There were three starting points that people could take. It was the uh, decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, in actual fact, that was the third decree. However, the first two decrees were to restore the temple in Jerusalem. And why we take 457 BC and not an earlier date is because the others replied to the temple, whereas the third decree applied to the city and setting up civil laws and things like that it wasn't just building it was establishment of the laws now you asked the question before what how did early believers interpret this prophecy Well, put it in a simple sentence they believed that was when jesus was coming back again in fact they even narrowed it down to the day it was supposed to be october 22 1844 But they misinterpreted the top prophecy. They got the time period right, but they misinterpreted what was to happen.
1: Very quickly, uh, following what Len said, thank you, Len, for making that comment. The reason why the bulk of Christendom today does not follow the historicist method of interpretation is tied largely to that event around the 1840s where they got it wrong as to what was actually happening. You find after that we start getting futurism and all the other isms uh, in uh, starting to come into play. Idealism is one that's around these days as well and it's very very interesting to to note that because they were right about what the prophecy said they were wrong about the event, that there's been a splintering, so to speak of other Protestant denominations and their interpretation of prophecy, leaving us with the current situation where we are virtually one of the very few churches who still teach the historicist method of biblical interpretation. Thank you, Brenton. We're almost out of time to
5: just finish off. Brenton, how do these texts help us understand there is a
1: judgment prior to the soon return of Jesus? Well, Revelation 22, verse 11 and 12, and for time I'm not going to... uh, To read it, I'll try and quote it for you, Nick. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now, that's an interesting one. I'll try and summarise that very quickly. The reward that Christ brings is not, repeat, not eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It's not a reward. Um, It's uh, the word according as his work shall be. Even though we are not saved by works, our works demonstrate that we are saved by grace. And when Christ comes again, I believe part of our reward, um, Ken and listeners, is people saved in the kingdom of heaven because of our efforts. And I I would believe, and I do believe, that the reward that Christ brings is the reward for the hard work that we have put in in the master's vineyard. Not eternal life, but a reward of seeing other people Saved in the kingdom of heaven because of our prayers and our labours. And I think that's the best possible reward that we could have.
5: Thank you, Brenton. That's really important. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Helen, would you like to finish off with the prayer?
2: Yes, I'm happy to do that. If we could pray right now. Thank you, loving Heavenly Father. We have gone through many, many things today, Lord, and we just pray that the meaning that has come through from the interpretation, Lord, can be sure, and that people can um, be reassured, Lord, that you are coming soon because prophecy has been fulfilled right down through the ages according to Scripture. We can believe in Scripture, Father, and we know that as these things have been fulfilled, it's evidence for us also that, that there's one more to go, and that's you, coming in those clouds of glory, coming to take us home. And we so look forward to that time. I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch everyone's heart that has listened today, that they will understand, Father. They will go back to Scripture and study themselves and they will understand the message um, that you have for each person. Thank you for being with the panel today and with all the listeners. And I pray that we will have our hearts ready, fully committed to you 100% to share the good news with our neighbours and with our friends and to bring honour and glory and praise to you and you alone. I pray in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
5: Thank you, Helen, and thank you, panel, for today's study. I also thank the listeners for their time in hearing all of this. And we just pray for each and every one of you.
0: I would like to just mention now that uh, as we are approaching prophecy and uh, all those uh, topics for, uh, to study the Bible, I would like to invite you to be part of some of our secrets of prophecy seminars, which are running all around uh, the place. If you like to contact uh, us, please just follow us up with the numbers we give you, an email. I would just like to invite you to uh, join us for those uh, uh, seminars. And uh, at the moment, we are running through Zoom seminars because of the condition we are in. But uh, I'm pretty sure that as the churches are opening up, you will be able to join some of uh, the groups around your place, wherever you listen. Just get in touch with us. Just uh, follow up with us. We'd we'll like to share with you more. I think, Len, you want to say something? Yes, in addition to what you've been saying, listeners,
4: there's a really fine book which you can have if you uh, call the station or call Nick, which explains many of these things in detail, what we've been talking about in general terms. It's called The Great Controversy. If you want one, you can have one, and
0: I know you will enjoy it very much. Can I just ask our uh, panel in a session of prayer, to just pray for the situation we are in and for our listeners.
4: Father in heaven, we live in a troubled world. And uh, we've been talking about prophecy this morning. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1, talking about end times, it says there, there is yet to come a time of trouble such as never was. Nobody seems to have the answers to what's going on. And I pray, Lord, that our listeners, you listeners, return to God because you have the only solution. I pray for your blessings on our listeners. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Lord, I just want to thank you for loving us. And we thank you that our listeners, as they listen week by week, can hear the word of God presented to them. Lord, in these times in which we live, we realise that we only have one anchor, that is Jesus Christ. For our listeners, Lord, I would pray for a couple of things. Firstly, I would pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding will be theirs. If they've lost their jobs or their homes or their businesses or they're going through difficult times, help them to find comfort in knowing that if they trust their case to you, You have promised you will never leave them or forsake them. Lord, we do not know the future. Even though restrictions are being lifted through COVID-19 and are still being uh, lifted, many people are still struggling. People are struggling with isolationism. People are struggling with loneliness. People are struggling with just connecting with their fellow human beings. Lord, during this time, I pray that your peace will come upon them, but also they'll be surrounded by your love, that they will be able to pray to you and know that there is someone who hears and answers prayer. Mm -hmm. We thank you that you've already heard us and we commit our listeners, all of them, Lord, into your loving care in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen.
6: Our loving Father, we know that you care. We know that uh, people around us, it's not hard to see people around us are struggling with all sorts of bad conditions. And uh, we pray that your mercy and your grace may rest on each individual and each family and give an outcome. And thank you that there is a promise in prophecy that soon Jesus will come to make an end of all this difficulty, sickness, and pain forever. We look forward to that day and pray that you will prepare us for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And again thank you very much Father in
0: heaven for your care and protection and uh, just uh, again to to remember your words Jesus that you said that seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be given unto you help us lord to understand and to remember that we are not here left alone you are in control you are sovereign and even though we are going to hard time difficulties We know that the enemy is working hard to destroy and to deceive your people. I pray that you'll be with us day by day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Until next time, may God bless you and keep safe walking in the footsteps of Jesus.